Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Story time. When I was a kid, there was a creek in the woods near my grandparents' house that I would hike to and play in. One day I climbed the berm next to the creek and saw a woman with long black hair wearing a white dress just kneeling over the water and staring into it. I hid behind the berm and just watched for a minute. Right as I was about to turn around and leave she suddenly stood up and screamed. 
Not a trying to scare this kid scream, but more like a, oh, I'm currently being burned alive scream. In response I promptly shit my pants and booked it back to my grandparents' house. According to people on Reddit I saw La Llorona, a ghost of a woman who lost her kids to drowning or something. I think it's much more likely that it was a crackhead living in the middle of the woods somewhere. Those woods were notorious for being home to a few drug labs and popular body dumping sites, paranormal or not, still scared the shit out of me and I never went to that creek alone again. I've had two experiences while solo camping on Crown Land here in Canada. The worst one happened around 2 am. I had decided to call it early and just head back to the city as it had been too windy to have a good fire as my camp was in an open spot in a little valley with a creek, and I was tired anyways. I've walked the route a million times, and it only took about 30 minutes, so I was comfortable walking it in the dark. About halfway back, I'm just taking in the fresh air and listening to the trees creak in the breeze when I get this sudden sense of panic. I stop to look around and can't see anything, so I go to take my water bottle out of my bag, and while I'm bent over, the whole forest goes dead silent. The breeze stopped, the bugs stopped, everything. I noted the F out of there so hard, I almost left my guitar on the side of the trail. Not my story but my grandfather's actually who served during Vietnam. Now he's never been one to really share his stories and things with anyone, but he will sometimes. He recently, just in the last couple of years, noticed that I took a liking to cryptozoology and things of that realm. After learning that it's even a thing, he began to tell me how during the Vietnam War, which again he served in, a part of the platoon he was in was attacked by these large 10-foot-tall reptilian crocodilian creatures. They killed at least eight of his men. His story terrified me when he told me it, and so I'll share it with you. He said that his platoon had been on a long and grueling march to the jungle. They were really close to where they were going but had one more obstacle to go through, a river that would take at least half a day to cross with all their gear. They were already in the midst of a very thick part of the jungle, and with their current location, it would be tougher. So they waited for nightfall before crossing. There were Viet Cong soldiers in the area, and they wanted to wait for them to pass, everybody except for the point man who had gone ahead of the group to scout out the crossing. He said that after about an hour or so, he returned with wild, terrified eyes, asking if they could get across without making too much noise due to there being something large in the river. Well, my grandfather said they did their best, but it was still quite noisy when they got in the water. He heard this strange, almost trumpet-like noise he described in the distance, sounding like it was coming from the direction of the river. At first, they thought it might be a kind of animal or something, but after a few seconds, it became clear that there were too many weird things about these noises that did not pinpoint back to any animal. So they simply kept moving. By the time they got to about the halfway point, night had fallen, and because of this, my grandfather said he only saw one dark shape in the river as it made its way under them, disappearing after about a second or two. He said that besides that one moment, nothing too much seemed out of the ordinary besides the noises, but you could tell everybody was very uneasy. 
once everybody got across the river and onto land again, his point man set up to keep watch for a few moments while everybody else tried to get a bit of sleep. He claims that five minutes into the guard shift, nothing seemed wrong at all, but then he saw two or three of these dark shapes in the water that began to ascend out of the water. Quick note, this section that they were in was a very thick part of the jungle. He told me even the captured Vietnamese refused to travel through here, and when questioned, they acted very scared. They knew. Anyway, he said that the first thing he did was wake everybody up, and for some reason, his point man wouldn't respond. After a second of shock, he realized this as well as the fact that their point man was no longer on post but had now been dragged into the water. My grandfather said that at this point, everybody began to panic, some reaching for their guns while others tried to get a better look at whatever was in the river. It wasn't long before they realized that this thing had killed off half their men, including their point man, taken in their sleep. He said there were three or four of these creatures in the water, coming out and going back in. Everybody started shooting at them, but it didn't do much other than make things worse. At first, they thought it was just because there were so many men shooting, and then he noticed that some of the bullets would go through one of these creatures, and after a second or two, another creature on the same side as the other one would rise up out of the water and eat what was left of the comrade on shore. He said everybody tried to run away at this point, but some didn't make it back into the jungle in time before watching everything they had ever had become eaten by these things. They went into hiding for hours until dawn finally came around. Apparently, during this time, he wasn't sure if he was awake or dreaming when more than once he heard screams sound off in the distance. He knew those were his teammates being eaten and torn alive. He told me that none of this seemed real if he closed his eyes, but in the daylight, it was a different story. He told me that in a few short hours, they finally heard a chopper in the distance and began to signal them with their gun mags. He said that when they got to where my grandfather and some of his friends were at, they were all that was left. There were just bones and bits of meat and flesh from these creatures. He told me he never returned to that part of the jungle again, and making the shortcut was a huge mistake. He told me this story about 10 years ago, it still keeps me up at night sometimes, thinking about what happened. This is the only time my grandfather would ever talk about running into large humanoid crocodilian creatures, and now these weren't just regular crocodiles, these were something out of a nightmare. They had a taste for human flesh. I've been a national park ranger for close to two decades. Protocols have changed a lot in that time. I write this just to try to keep people safe for the next time you venture to the big outdoors. Let me tell you about the last park I worked. I can't be too specific about the location for my job's sake. Anyway we had clusters of campsites that we rotated annually. The idea was to prevent one group from getting overused and worn down, let nature regrow a little bit. The winter had just passed, and our big summer season was a few months away. I'm sent out to check the suitability of the campsites to decide which ones need time to recover, and which ones we can open up. Winters here are cold. Not too many people camp during the winter aside from rugged masochists and boy scout troops lead by people who believe they are rugged masochists. I didn't expect to find much out of the ordinary. 
The first site was clear and ready to go. As I'm trekking to the next site, I see what looks like some debris and junk down a ways in a river valley. Looks like some jackasses set up an unauthorized camp down there. Usually when that happens, they leave garbage and smoldering fires. This is going to be a pain to clear up. I approach, seeing the telltale wreckage of what must have been one hell of a party. Shit scattered everywhere, the skeletons of tents still raised up. And blood. I stop, and time stops with me. Pools of blood are spread out along the ground, next to signs of something heavy being dragged into the brush. I pull my radio off my belt and pause. I then pull my Glock 22 out of my holster and rack one round. I'm a certified law enforcement officer, but I haven't had to use my gun in a long time. I quickly look around for any movement, then get on my radio and call in for backup. While I wait, I listen. Silence. Silence in nature isn't good. Prey get quiet when they sense a predator. I hope all the birds are being still on my account. I edge forward slowly, looking for anyone or anything. A shredded plastic cooler. A tent that has been annihilated, with more blood splashed on the walls and inside. People died here. I know it. You can't lose that much blood and just walk off. But no people. Shreds of clothes, and a little viscera drawing all the goddamn flies here, but no people. I've seen bears rummage through camps and destroy anything that looked edible. There are wild hogs here that cut trails through the deep brush and are even more dangerous than the bears. But this isn't either of them. The devastation here, it's just too much. Some scourge of God came through here and just ripped everything to pieces. Finally backup arrives, and I'm sent to report to HQ they even brought medics out here. I don't know why, there's no one here to save. One of the new recruits vomits at the scene. I'm glad to get the hell out of here. I get back and HQ is a buzz. Only four people work here, but calls are ringing, printers printing and the air feels electrified. The manager sees me and signals me to his office. He's pale, ashen looking with bloodshot eyes. I sit down by his desk, and he goes to the door and locks it. I've never seen him lock that door. He asks me what I saw. I tell him, uninterrupted. He looks even paler afterward, and his hands tremble a bit. There's a very long pause, and I expect more questions. He doesn't ask any. I leave, then hear the door lock behind me. After a few minutes I hear him call someone up, and a long low conversation ensues. I never see him again. Word comes down from on high. We're assigned a new manager, one who excels at what he calls crises. His first order of business, a controlled burn of the unauthorized camp and the sites closest to it. I'm not arguing, I watch the smoke rise in the distance and pray that's the end of it. New orders, relocate the existing campsites closer to HQ. Before we do that, we stake out a few trail cameras at the new locations just to make sure it's not in the middle of a nesting ground. We put up a few cameras pointed at the hog trails through the brush for good measure. A couple days pass, and we go out to collect the footage. The new manager takes it all and starts studying it in his office. A couple hours into reviewing, he freaks out. Starts screaming and yelling. Gets on the phone calling up the line spitting more obscenities. 
he spends the rest of the day and that night in the office, calling up specialists and planners. Next morning I show up for a meeting. Manager doesn't look like he slept. Massive changes afoot. He lays out our new plans, including massively bright lampposts circling the park border as well as floodlights around the ranger station. Campsites need to be moved even closer in. Clear lines of sight from the light, if possible. I butt in, telling him that defeats the point of going camping. If you're just going on a short walk through the grass then setting up so close you can see the parking lot. He tells me to shut up, that it's just the start. The park now closes at sundown, sharp. Also, we're now required to have a long gun on our person at all times. Now it isn't uncommon for rangers to carry an AR-15 or a Remington 870 shotgun going out in the deep woods. There are wild and rabid animals out there. The real concern are massive pot growers. These aren't your chill neighbor who hides a few plants behind the tomatoes. They run the spectrum from large-scale suppliers who like their privacy and dislike law enforcement to anti-government crazies who think we have no right over them, the true patriots. Both groups have a few common points, they tend to be well-armed, they do not like lawmen, and they won't shy away from taking a potshot at some dumb poor ranger who finds himself in their fields. Keep in mind Elliot Ness, Mr. I fought Al Capone and one got scared off busting up Appalachian moonshiners because they constantly sniped at him in the foothills. They shoot to kill. Those are the reasons we keep the big guns around. Not routine patrols. I drew the short straw and got the overnight shift. Manager tells me more changes to protocol will be listed when I return. Overnights used to be easy. Monitor the radios, bust up the parties if needed. Check for poachers if they're operating nearby, make sure the forest doesn't burn down. I clock in and per instructions, go to the gun cage. My, things have changed. Our shotguns have new rifled barrels, so they can handle the solid slugs we've been issued. That's the kind of firepower you want to take down a charging bear, god forbid you ever need it. The R-15s have been stepped up too. The old 15-round magazines have been replaced by 30-round ones. Someone even snuck us in hollow-point rounds. Makes no damn sense. Shooting in the woods you need full metal jacket ammo so the rounds don't go wild when they touch a twig. Hollow points just exist to do more tissue damage. This is ridiculous. This is overkill. We're not a war zone. We don't need this firepower. Next to the radio, there are new instructions. Now we're not allowed to directly respond to emergency calls. We can reply, figure out what the issue is then we report to a new phone number I don't recognize. Time passes slowly tonight, I'm not even allowed to leave the building until sunup. A few uneventful nights pass. The new floodlights and lampposts are frying my eyes. It's so bright out there a blind man could see. A week later some kids roll into the lot. They grab their backpacks and start hiking up the ridge. I know what they're up to, no one has booked a campsite that night. Cheap young ones going on a camp out that will be a raging party. I wait for the sun to go down, confirming they're not out for a day hike. I call my manager to report. He instructs me to call the new number, I report up to them now. A curt voice answers the phone. He asks my park, then pauses. 
He asks the issue. Bunch of kids on an unauthorized site, do I go break it up? I can see their campfire out the ridge right now. No. Do not leave the building. Do not attempt communication. That is all. Report if there are any developments. Right after daybreak the manager rides up. It's real early. Have you seen them? Did they leave? No, the car's still there. Let them rest, they're probably all hung over. He curses, non-stop. He then goes inside to make a call. I'm outside looking up the ridge when he exits the station. One AR-15 in his hand, another one strapped across his back. Glock on his hip. He marches single-mindedly toward his car. I try to ask him what in God's name he's doing but he isn't listening or responding. He takes a jerry can of gasoline from his car and marches up the ridge. I yell after him, to no reply. I consider following him, but that doesn't seem like a good idea. I go back inside and call the number. The same curt voice. The same direct questions. Yeah, the manager went up to that campsite. Armed to the teeth, and carrying gasoline. What the F do I do? Stay there. Do not interfere. Backup is inbound. Report if there are any developments. About the same time I start to see smoke wafting off the ridge, two vans ride into the lot at a screaming speed. A dozen men, heavily armed and armored exit quickly. I go out to check. Who are you guys? What's going on? The men are all lined up with that impeccable military precision. One of them, a commander, I assume exists the vehicle last. He says, which direction did he go? I mean he's up there. I point at the increasing smoke. The men fan out and start jogging up the ridge. I hear rifles cocking as they leave. I try to shout after them, but no response. I look at the vans they came in. Large, nondescript. They just say DOI response team on the side. Half an hour later they return, dragging the manager with them. He is bound in zip ties. He screams, I did what needed to be done. Trust me. It's worse than they thought. We can't stop this. Burn it all. They throw him in the back and sedate him. The commander approaches me, my neck hairs bristle in cold fear. I need to see the office. All computers and anything with a hard drive is coming with me. He mentioned videotapes. I need those too. I unlock the doors and they ransack the place. Everything gets taken. Printed reports from the last few years disappear into those vans. The videotapes get bagged up and held by the commander himself. He studies the gun cage. Cute. You're out of your league. He scoffs. Finally they found everything they looked for. The commander tells me, call the number. Tell them it's contained. You need a new superior. Also, don't talk about this to anyone. They leave, and just on cue the fire brigade and a few news vans show up. The fire is contained, the news reports say. Rumors of missing campers are unsubstantiated at this time. Still the rumors alone are enough to scare of this season's campers. The quick change-up of managers is chalked up to bureaucracy. The press dies down after a week or two. The new manager is very good at dealing with them. Thankfully with no new campers and our now even shorter open hours, we can get more work done around here.
Rebuilding the station took some time, and we just set up the new campsites. They're practically spitting distance from the station. Nothing dramatic happens for a few days. Then on a whim, the manager tells us to set up some cameras around the station and the campsites. There's usually so much human activity around here all you see are some raccoons, maybe the rare hungry bear but we humor him and set them up all around. Couple of days pass, we collect the footage. I play poker with one of the rookies while the manager watches hours of footage of an empty but brilliantly illuminated parking lot. Then he gets to the footage around the station. Screams come from the office. We barge in and he's stamping on the camera hard drives, gibbering things I can't understand. Along the lines of, told me it was clean, safe. No recent activity. Bullshit here I'm not gonna do it. He barks at us to leave. Later he makes a call. Rookie goes up to the door and listens in. Rookie comes back reporting, yeah, he's demanding a transfer. Says they lied to him. Something about they didn't do their jobs properly. He's not prepared or equipped here. Then I just heard the phone click, and some sobbing. Hours later, my manager exits the office. His shoulders are slumped, defeated. We cut our hours even further, practically open on weekends only. We'll have a full staff ready those days, but a skeleton crew the rest of the time. Campers are required to check into one of the closest sites. No campsite and they're told to leave. We are not authorized to leave the station after dark under any circumstances. In an emergency, do not call 911, call the number and do exactly what they say. We draw straws for who gets overnight shifts. Why we need to stay overnight if we can't do anything is beyond me. I asked the manager about it and he just said that standard protocol is to have someone on hand to report any irregularities overnight. I have to work my overnight shift. I keep my phone close, the number dialed in, ready if I need to call. It is a bad night. I just wind up pacing around with my shotgun, glancing into the bright floodlights, trying to see what's past them. I hear crickets, and it relaxes me. Prey is quiet when predators are around. It is a long night. The next night, my manager draws the short straw. He seems resigned. In the end, we all have to take a turn. He brings the brightest damn tactical flashlight I've ever seen. Said he bought it just because he's afraid of the dark. He isn't really. He's afraid of the things in the dark. I get a phone call at 3 AM. It's him. Get over here now. And bring guns. Wah? You have a damn arsenal. Now. Oh I swear to god I messed up. Oh man, I think they're attracted to the light. I called that number and all they said was backup would be here in the morning. OF, FG damn. I hear the piercing staccato of gunshots. A pause. More gunshots. Screaming. Scuffling. The line goes dead. I call the number. A new terse voice answers. Look I work at X Park. I just got off the phone with Y. I just spoke with X what can you report? Something bad happened. It's serious. I heard gunshots. We will have backup there as soon as possible. Did he say anything else? Yeah, he said he thought they were attracted to the light. Doesn't make sense to me. Interesting. Thank you for your report. The park is now closed. 
you will be reassigned. Goodbye. Click. Officially, the park was closed to be scheduled for a controlled burn, let the old trees die and make room for new ones. There was nothing in the official report about what happened to the manager on duty. The public understanding was bureaucracies need to be shaken up on occasion. No one asked any more questions. I get transferred to a new park, halfway across the country. Change of scenery and beautiful. They've got some odd rules here too. Don't go far after dark, and don't carry a flashlight. I'm concerned about why. Why can't you use a flashlight at night when you need one? They won't tell me. Be safe everyone. Hey, my name is Levi, I've never done this before, but people need to know what's out there. It's likely that you've heard of such monsters as Skinwalkers, Windigo, Bigfoot, but you choose to believe that creatures of that kind could never roam the earth, that humans are the top of the food chain, that we rule this planet. Though comforting, this mindset will not save you when you come face to face with a nightmare, when you realize how weak and helpless you truly are, it will be too late. My long-distance girlfriend Tay, who is studying on the other side of the country, was visiting her parents in my town, it was my first time meeting them, and it went the way everyone wants it to go, I don't mean to brag but they loved me, and they were really nice, when it got late and I was getting ready to go home, Tay's mom offered for me to stay while Tay was in town so that we could spend as much time as possible together until she has to go back to school Tay looked at me excitedly, and I asked are you sure? I don't want to be a burden nonsense Levi, Tay's mom says we thank you and Tay are perfect together and we know how much she misses you when she's gone, make the most of each other Tay hugs her mom and then pulls me and her dad into the hug. It was a beautiful moment, but I can't look at it now without it being tainted by the events that followed. The next few days were perfect, I spent more time with Tay than I ever had before, it was hard with her being so far away most of the time. FaceTime can only do so much to quench the emptiness I felt without her. But for these few days life felt complete, I hung out with her family, we played card games for hours, I helped her dad fix his motorbike, well, I say helped, I mostly just held the flashlight and handed him tools, but I think I won him over that day, he probably would have gave me his blessing in marriage if I had asked. That night we were all sat around the TV watching the new Lightyear movie, which was surprisingly good, I'd be lying if I said I didn't shed a few tears, around 11.18pm when the movie finished, Tay's parents said goodnight and headed off to bed and a couple of Tay's friends who had been visiting said goodbye and drove home. I got up to get some water from the kitchen, and as I walked back I stood in the doorway that separated the kitchen from the living room, which was dark, only lit by the TV, allowing me to see Tay frozen, staring towards the window which was out of my direct line of sight. Confused, I peeked my head out of the doorway and looked toward the window. I froze and dropped my glass, luckily it landed on the carpet and didn't make much of a noise, and the giant pale creature standing an inch from the window didn't notice. The creature was foul, a gaunt lanky humanoid, well at least the head and torso was humanoid, it had no legs, the torso ended in a stump, the body was being held up by four arms, each one probably two meters long, the creature's whole body was covered in grey skin stretched tightly over its abnormally long bones, 
the thing had no hair, anywhere, its mouth was strangely wide, stretching around to where its ears would be if it had them, and its eyes were just sunken inky black pits in its head, but I could tell it was just staring at Tay, who had tears rolling down her face, she slowly turned her head to look at me, she was shaking and breathing quickly. Levi. She whimpered help. I had never felt so powerless, I'm a six foot two, lean but muscular 20 year old guy. I was supposed to protect her, I always thought I could, and I would die to protect her but I had no idea how to protect her from whatever this thing was. Then I had an idea, I looked to the light switch panel to my left, I knew one of them was the porch light, but there were three others, the living room light, the kitchen light and the hall light, if I press the wrong light, I don't know what the thing will do, but I had to try, I had to remember, which light did I see Tay's dad use to turn the porch light on when he went out last night. I reached for the light second from the bottom, and flicked the switch. The hall light turned on, luckily, the hall is on the opposite side of the kitchen to where the living room is, and it is out of view for the creature at the window. But I can't mess up again, if the kitchen light turns on, the creature will see me, and if the living room light turns on, it might cause it to attack Tay. I looked back to the creature, which was reaching using one of its hands to scratch the window, I had to do something. I reached for the bottom light switch and flicked it, the porch light turned on, the creature spun around to face it and let out a screech that will haunt my nightmares for the rest of my life, I ran to Tay and grabbed her, dragging her off the side of the couch where there was about a meter gap between the armrest of the couch and the wall, and I held her, what else could I do? I can't fight the thing, we can't outrun it, does Tay know how scared I am? Can she feel my heart running laps in my chest? I want her to feel safe, like nothing can hurt her when I'm there, but that's clearly not true. The sound of the window smashing fills the house and Tay cries into my shoulder, I hold her tightly, I kiss the top of her head and I wait quietly. I can't see anything, it's pitch darkness besides the slight blue glare from the TV on the wall above us, but I can hear raspy breathing and bones cracking as the thing searches the living room, I hear it sniffing the couch where Tay was sitting. And I hear it make its way closer to the end of the couch, one of its hands pressed on the wall above us, the closer it gets, the less scared I become, all that fear is replaced by anger. This thing wants to hurt the person I love with all of my heart, it wants to take the one thing that makes me happy, I would die for this girl, and I will die for this girl. I kiss her one more time and get myself into a defensive position so that I can easily tackle it before it reaches Tay, and as I see the silhouette of its head begin to peek over the side of the couch, suddenly the light turns on and Tay's dad yells as he sees us from the kitchen while he's holding a shotgun. The creature runs at him but falls to the ground as one of its arms is obliterated at the shoulder after Tay's dad fires a shot. The creature shakes around on the ground like a fly without wings, before it grabs the TV in one of its hands and flings it effortlessly at Tay's dad sending him flying into the kitchen counter behind him. The creature quickly sprints out of the window and unleashes a final screech as it disappears into the tree line behind the house. And here we are. I'm sitting at the hospital with Tay and her family, her dad has a broken jaw, two of broken collar bones, six cracked ribs, two broken vertebrae in his back and a broken pelvis, he's sleeping right now due to the meds he's on, but he's supposed to recover, 
though he likely won't be able to walk for a while, if ever again. This whole thing happened around 5 hours ago, it's 4.38 am as I'm writing this, the police left a while ago after telling us we can't go back to the house for a while, I don't know what that thing was, but it's safe to say, we are not the dominant species in this world, there are things bigger than us, stronger than us, things you couldn't dream of, you think you can protect yourself? Your family? The only difference between you and a rabbit being hunted by a wolf, is that the rabbit knows that it's in danger. And the rabbit is running for its life. The forest loomed before us, its dark trees stretching upwards like skeletal fingers clawing at the sky. We stood at the edge of the tree line, a group of five hunters, our faces marked by a mix of excitement and trepidation. The story of the haunted forest had drawn us here, a place where the bravest sought to prove their mettle against the unknown. Armed with only traditional weapons and our wits, we were ready to face whatever challenges lay ahead. As the sun sank below the horizon, casting long shadows over the forest floor, we ventured deeper into the woods. The air was thick with an eerie silence, broken only by the rustling of leaves and the occasional snap of a twig beneath our boots. The tension was palpable, the anticipation of the hunt mixing with the creeping unease that the legends had instilled in us. Night descended swiftly, and a shiver ran down my spine as I realized that the forest was transforming. The trees seemed to close in around us, their branches becoming gnarled and twisted like the fingers of some ancient, malevolent force. I exchanged glances with my companions, their expressions mirroring my own growing sense of unease. We set up camp in a small clearing, our campfire casting flickering shadows that danced along the perimeter. As we huddled around, our voices were hushed, and the laughter that had accompanied our journey here now felt like a distant memory. We spoke of the legends, the stories of hunters who had ventured into this forest before and never returned. As the fire crackled, a sudden snap echoed through the woods. We fell silent, our gazes darting towards the source of the sound. The forest seemed to hold its breath, and then, a low growl resonated from the shadows. My heart pounded in my chest as I stared into the darkness, my grip tightening around the handle of my bow. And then, it emerged. A figure stepped into the flickering light of the fire, its monstrous form casting elongated shadows that danced upon the trees. Its overlong arms hung nearly to its feet, the deadly claws jutting out like nightmarish weapons. The silver-like hair that covered its body shimmered in the firelight, and its eyes, piercing blue and ancient, locked onto us. The creature's head resembled that of a grizzly bear, its snout deeply scarred from battles with beings even larger than itself. Its presence was overpowering, a chilling reminder that we were trespassers in its domain. Fear held us in its grip, and our weapons felt suddenly inadequate against this malevolent force. As if sensing our vulnerability, the creature moved closer, its movements graceful yet predatory. Panic surged through our group, and I could feel the tremors in my own limbs. With an echoing roar that seemed to reverberate through the very air, it lunged at us, and chaos erupted. Arrows were released, knives flashed, and the forest echoed with our shouts and the creature's roars. In the midst of the frenzy, I saw one of my companions fall, 
A lethal blow from the creature's claws ending his struggle. Realization crashed over us like a tidal wave, we were being hunted. The creature was no legend, no mere ghost story. It was real, and it was intent on our destruction. As we fought, it became clear that our traditional weapons were no match for its sheer power and ferocity. With every passing moment, the group dwindled, each member falling victim to the relentless predator that stalked us. We were exhausted, wounded, and filled with a desperate determination to survive. But the creature was relentless, its silver-haired form a nightmarish blur in the darkness. Dawn broke, casting a dim light over the clearing where the final battle had taken place. The creature was nowhere to be seen, its presence evaporating like a nightmare upon waking. We were battered, bruised, and broken, survivors of a horror that defied explanation. When we finally emerged from the forest, our faces told a story of terror and loss. We stumbled upon a group of other hunters, their eyes widening as they took in our disheveled appearance. We recounted our experience, our voices heavy with the weight of our experiences. The police were called, their accusatory eyes narrowing as they listened to our account. They dismissed our claims of a monstrous creature, accusing us of being involved in the death of our fallen companions. We were met with skepticism and disbelief, our voices drowned out by their assumptions. Luckily, police did not prosecute us due to lack of evidence and classified the whole case as a bear attack. But we know it wasn't. I was laying down in the truck at a pilot truck stop about 9 miles south of Ashtabula, Ohio on October 3, 2018 at 1 p.m. I always cover my windows to keep all lights out and lock all the doors. I had backed in, so the front of my truck was facing the storefront. Typically, I'm out by 11.30 p.m., but I kept getting a ringing sound in my right ear and was having trouble with my knee, previous injury, unrelated. The last thing I remember is starting the truck around 12.30 a.m. to let the heat run. Then, it seemed almost instantly I was floating onto a table. The table felt high up, maybe 5 to 6 feet. I couldn't move anything. My head was turned to my right shoulder. It felt locked there. I was overwhelmed with fear and could feel myself attempting to cry out for help. Two very small 3.5 to 4 foot gray skin creatures were to my right that I could see. Everyone describes gray aliens differently than these guys looked. Their entire body was stubby, and their heads were almost too short for their eyes, which were very large like other people described. It was more over the shape of their face that looked different than typical photos you see. The photos you typically see show them elongated in the face. These two looked like it was almost smushed down and like they were squinting with wrinkles between the eyes. I couldn't speak or cry out, but I started to realize what was going on, so I thought in my head, best way to describe it, for them to please help me relax. I understood what was going on but I could not calm down. Once I thought that, I could move my arms. So I reached out towards one with my right arm and it held my hand. I did the same with my left arm and although I couldn't see it something grabbed my left hand. Their hands were very soft but cold and felt kind of like a toddler's hand. Once I was holding with both my hands I could not stop smiling. 
I was completely relaxed and all I could feel was happiness. The one holding my hand on the right I believe is the one who was talking to me. It asked if I was sure that I wanted to remember this time, and I told it I was not sure. It was then that I realized that I'd been visited several times before. I believe the first time was when I was five. I recalled a small devil-like creature coming through the wall of my room. I had a bunk bed with no bottom bed, and it just floated straight up to my face. I immediately screamed. My dad came running in and found me in the far corner by my closet door. Being a kid, I told him the devil came for me. Now that I'm older I realize it wasn't a devil. It was one of those creatures. The next incident wasn't until I was 9 to 10 years old. As I was going upstairs to bed I stopped at the landing. Outside of the window, there was a saucer-shaped disc silver in color with a large orange dome on top of it. I thought that I had immediately gone downstairs to get my dad. But when I went to go get him to tell him what happened he asked what I was doing still up. Apparently, I had been upstairs for almost an hour, I thought it was only a matter of seconds. After telling my dad what had happened, he grabbed our old VCR camcorder went upstairs with me, and videotaped this craft which was still hovering outside the window. After about 10 to 15 seconds, it shot off and was gone. My dad went downstairs and called Airborne Express, which is the local DHL type company that was in business at the time. He reported the incident to them as well as Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. No one reported seeing it they said that nothing was showing up on radars around that time and that it was probably a coincidence. However, the next morning when we woke up nothing was on the tape whatsoever. On top of that, we had a large pine tree outside of that window. It was lying on the ground and completely black on one side like it immediately burnt partially and then died. There was no other scaring to the ground. Back to the present. So I'm laying on the table and I can feel other hands around me on my legs, arms, ears, and then I feel a hard pressure around my genitals. Like a pump, but with pain like heat, pain. I'm completely distracted while all this is going on though because the creature to my left is now alone it's just me and him in my view. He's telling me all kinds of things about meeting me in the past, but I can't recall what he was saying. I do recall him saying that I would forget things if I wasn't ready, and unfortunately, he had no control over whether or not I would remember. He could only allow me to remember what I wanted to remember. About the time that I really calmed down and stopped feeling like I was going to have a heart attack, everyone was gone. I woke up in the truck laying on my back on top of my blankets. The truck was still running, but every light on the dash was lit up and alarms were going off on it, so I shut it off thinking it was overheating. I turned it back on a couple seconds later and everything was fine. The whole ordeal did not come to me until after I realized the truck was okay. I immediately started freaking out, and then I heard the same voice again telling me everything was okay and he would see me soon. I feel like over the years I have developed a friendship possibly with this creature, but I'm not sure of that. Honestly, I'm not really sure I even believe myself, however, I can tell you that those other two instances definitely did occur when I was younger and I always wanted to know why they happened. I've always had an interest in aliens, but nothing more than any other young boy does. I've never fantasized about being abducted. I've honestly been freaked out about the thought of it, 
so I don't think that my mind is playing tricks on me or that I had a dream. Another note to add is I do not think that these creatures had a gender. The only reason why I say that is the voice in my head that was talking to me did not appear to be male or female. I did wake up with a slight nosebleed in my right nostril, I had a headache and continued to have a headache all day. I had very uncomfortable pressure internally. I do not drink alcohol. I do not do drugs. And to the best of my knowledge, I have no mental illness from either side of my family that is known. I have never been a sleepwalker, and I don't tend to have very many nightmares. I wish I could remember more of what happened. Although I would definitely be terrified if this occurs again, I hope that I can be more open to it when it does though. I know they will be back because I recall the creature saying it would see me again. The beginning of the encounter was very intrusive and it felt embarrassing. They seemed to just do what they needed to do, and then they comforted me. I will say that I agree with others about the whole pure love feeling. I definitely felt as though it possibly genuinely cared about me. I'm not entirely sure that it did, but it was a very comforting feeling. One other thing I do recall it asking me was if I remembered them fixing me when I ruined my ability to reproduce. I didn't answer that I'm aware of but I think I know what they were talking about. When I was on a deployment to Iraq, we would restart the radar standing in range of them. We were warned if we did that we could become sterile. So I used to do it every day joking that I did not need to have any more kids, as I had already had three at the time. I did wake up several nights with nosebleeds in Iraq, but in my opinion, I believe at least most of those were due to the desert air. I hope my story will help in some way, shape, or form. These are not all of the details of this event. I'm not very good at writing out things, and I only wanted to write out what I was sure of. I looked at the frayed end of my puppy's leash inside. The leash had been thrown in with the kennel I bought when I bought Picard, my Pomeranian. It had been old and ratty, but I figured it would work just as well as a new one. Apparently I was wrong. I'd only had Picard for two months, the leash was dead, and he was having a grand time somewhere in the woods behind my apartment complex. He was a good puppy, but also a hyperactive one and I was worried he would wear himself out and get lost, so I pushed through the undergrowth in the direction that he had scampered off. Picard. I called out. Come on boy, it's going to be night time. You need to come get dinner. It had been half an hour, and I was starting to get a little bit worried, and a little bit upset. I didn't know what I would do when I found the little guy, but at this point I was just hoping I would find him at all. The sun hadn't completely set, but it would in less than an hour, and after I found Picard I would have to find my way back out of the woods. From the road or the apartments, the mass of trees looked quaint and contained, but from inside of it the forest seemed huge and imposing. Some of the trees had long scratches on them, usually a few feet above my head, or places a little lower where the bark had been torn off in ragged strips. All the branches up to about 8 feet high had been broken off and piled around the bases of the trees, and I wondered who had done it, and why. It must have taken days of effort for some landscaper to accomplish, and for what purpose? As far as I knew, no one came out here, not even the kids who lived in the apartments. Come to think of it, 
I hadn't even seen any animals in the woods since I moved in. I'd never noticed it, but now that the thought had entered my head it was unsettling. Even if the forest was too small for deer, shouldn't there be squirrels or possums or something? I took another look at some of the scratches high on the trees. What were they? Most of them were groups of two parallel lines, gouged deep into the living wood of the trees. Bears had more than two claws, I knew that. Was it something done by whomever had broken off the low branches? I reached up to touch an overhanging branch. It was just out of reach. I was a tall guy, six feet even. Most people wouldn't be able to reach the branches. Maybe the manager of the apartments didn't want people climbing the trees. Picard. Here puppy. Let's go get a treat. I didn't want to be here anymore. I wanted to take my dog and go home. The sun was getting very low in the sky and I absolutely did not want to be in these woods after dark. There couldn't be anything to worry about, nothing scarier than skunks lived in my state, but at this point I no longer cared. This place was wrong somehow and even the squirrels knew it. Picard. Come. I heard dead leaves rustle behind me. I turned to look. Picard, good do. It wasn't Picard. The thing I saw was tall, eight feet at least. The branches overhead brushed its wolf-like ears. It was covered in thick fur, gray and mossy green, and it stood on two feet like a person. For a brief instant, I thought it must be a Bigfoot, but then I looked at its face. Into its eyes. Its four eyes. They were small and crimson, arranged in a band across its face where a human's nose would be. Its wide frog-like mouth split, and its entire head seemed to gape open to reveal hundreds, thousands, of teeth like knitting needles as a thick tongue like a twisted handkerchief thrust out and licked slowly across its lips. It took a horrible shuddering step towards me, and I took two back. It blinked, each eye from left to right taking a turn in sequence. Then it raised its long, long arm towards me. I felt my back hit against a tree and thought, maybe I could climb up, wait for this thing to leave, for someone else to come, even though I knew no one would but there were no branches in reach and I suddenly realized why. I shouted at the thing to stop, but it ignored me. It took another step towards me, then a third, its paw outstretched with two thick curved claws extended. I closed my eyes. There was nothing I could do. Then I heard a low whine, and a bark. Picard. Great. Not only was this thing going to eat me, but my little dog too. I opened my eyes, and started to shout at Picard to run, but the thing was standing there covering its ears. Picard barked again, and the creature howled in what seemed like pain. Picard began barking incessantly, frantically, and the horror fled, running deeper into its terrible woods. Picard trotted over to me, his tail wagging, the other end of the leash still clipped to his collar. What a good boy, Picard. What a good boy. I hugged him close. We were both shaking as I tied the two ends of the leash together, and we ran home in the dark. Sometimes, from my window, I watch the woods. I never see animals, but sometimes there are new scratches, high on the trees. And when my neighbor complains about Picard barking in the night, I just smile and nod, and apologize. And slip my dog an extra treat.
a shadow appeared right in front of me on the road yesterday, I was riding on my bike back home at 12.30 am. It was that night also a bit foggy but still clear enough to see what's happening in front of me. I live in Belguim and have to ride through a rural area on a dark quiet road that leads to a big forest that I also have to go through. It is known in my village that in the forest many quote self-harms have happened mostly by hanging. I was coming back from being with friends. And it was about 1.30 in the morning. Before you get out on that road you drive on a small stretch of street that is inhabited and completely lit by street lamps. While I was driving on the lit part of the road a black shadow that looked like a person appeared 20 meters in front of me in the middle of the road. There was nothing around the road that could cause a shadow so there was no logical response to that shadow. The most punishing thing was that the spot where it was standing was completely illuminated. The phantom hovered 50 centimeter or so in the air and was I think 2 meters high. And looked hard like a person. I drove on toward the phantom because I had to go that way because it is the shortest way home. And the shum stayed put and I drove in front of it. Then I looked back and it was gone. My mom told me afterwards that a good friend of my family also hanged himself there five years ago. Maybe it was him. I can still see it in front of me when I close my eyes. Tomorrow I'll post a drawing of what it looked like. Out camping. I was off foraging and finding kindling when I got a sense I was being watched. I felt a little off so I readied my hatchet. I couldn't see what set me off, but I kept it in one hand while I got rest of my kindling. When I got back to camp I saw my sight all messed up and several big claw marks on the tree I'd hung my food from. The food bag was still hanging there. I figured a bear or mountain lion was digging through my camp. My danger sense was still going, but I didn't have the daylight to get back to my car. I set my fire and kept myself ready for a fight. I prepped some alarm traps with a bit of 550 cord and my tent stakes. I improvised a hammock out of my tent tarp and the shredded remains of my tent. I used every last bit of cordage I had prepping for the night. The makeshift hammock was pretty comfy and where I positioned it I got a decent amount of heat from the fire. I think I dozed a few times in the night, but any stick crack or pop woke me up. At some point in the dark, my fire was low and I heard one of my alarm traps get set off. It sounded like the rope got tangled with an animal because it kept going a bit longer than I expected. My adrenaline kicked in and I jumped from my hammock in my camp shoes and made a bunch of noise like the Hulk. Hatchet and camp knife in hands I rushed the edge of my camp on the alarm side and I heard the cans from my alarm travel away. Whatever it was, their element of surprise was ruined. I didn't sleep the rest of the night and just kept an eye on my fire in the tree line. At dawn I did a quick recon and salvaged my traps. The one was missing as I suspected. I only searched a few yards around, but figured it was a lost cause. I packed up and hiked back to my car. The scariest part was not knowing what was out there. Maybe if I would have seen it too would have been able to rationalize the situation. But that was the last time I camped alone without a rifle.
I live in a small town that was founded in the 1850s as a railroad town as it's exactly 100 between Columbus and Pittsburgh and at the time steam engines needed to stop every 100 miles to refill with water. I live on the main street, directly across from the field the tracks run through, just down the street from the old rail depot, now a museum, and my house was built in the 1860s by the Pennsylvania Railroad Company. My dogs have always hated my dining room since I bought the house six years ago. They won't lay out there, and never linger in there long while moving through the house. I've never thought anything of it, I always assumed it was because of the linoleum floor. Recently within the past few months they've started barking at the walls in the dining room in the evening. Again, I just assumed it was because of the shadows. The paint in there is a high gloss, light hue because it's a large room with a single light source and always feels dark, so at night the light can cast some pretty epic shadows. Well, the week before last my mastiff charged into one of the walls, while growling and I finally paid attention to what he was barking at. I went out to the dining room and watched a shadow very clearly move from one end of the wall to the other while my dog was bashing himself off the wall. I decided to just let whatever it was go on about its business because it has never bothered me. Fast forward to today. While I haven't seen the moving shadow again, my dining room fans light fixture blue 10 brand new bulbs last week. Every light I put in it has stopped working within a few hours. Had an electrician here today that looked it over and used a multimeter on it, said it's in perfect condition. I don't think I was supposed to see it and now it's mad at me. Or, maybe it's mad at the dog? And I have no idea what it even is, I just know I have a very dark dining room and my dogs refuse to enter it at all. Being as my front door leads into my living room and the dining room and then the dining room branches off into the kitchen, the basement, the upstairs steps and the bathroom, my dogs have been stuck in the living room for a week and they're not budging, even if I bribe them with treats. I have considered asking it to leave, but as a pagan I know well enough that some things take any direct communication as an invitation. If my little house ghost isn't just a little house ghost, I'd prefer to not extend an invitation and feed its energy. What is in my house? I work as a field biologist and spend a lot of time outdoors. One summer I was spotlighting for ferrets in a national park, which required me to follow a trail on a GPS and shine a high-powered flashlight around in the middle of the night looking for any eye shine reflecting back at me. The park is a dark night preserve meaning there are no other artificial lights and it gets seriously dark. Even with the spotlight, a lot of details end up washed out and difficult to determine. I was sweeping an area when I noticed a green eye shine by a boulder. I got excited thinking I'd found a ferret. I radioed to command and slowly began to approach. I thought I was seeing two small eyes close together but actually I was seeing one single eye, which became apparent when a massive head swung around and focused its other eye on me. Turns out that boulder was actually the body of a large bison and I was standing less than 10 feet from its snout. In the middle of the rutting season. I just quietly radioed command and slowly backed away as it stared me down the entire time. I gave them a wide berth going around it and I think I was lucky that it was either too tired or too unsure of the strange bright light to attack me.
partner and I set off for a weekend camping trip in the Rocky Mountains after work on a Friday. Late start, so we didn't get to the road we were looking to camp off of until late. It was getting dark, we found a cleared area, parked my jeep and hastily set up our two-person tent, threw in our sleeping arrangements and dog, and hopped in the tent for the night. We were playing a board game sitting cross-legged around 9p when something swiped at the back of my head through the tent wall. We panicked a bit, used remote start on the car to scare whatever it was off. I tried to convince myself and my partner that it was a falling stick. There was no wind and we were in a clearing. The next morning we came to discover that we were about 10 feet from a half-eaten deer in a mountain lion's pantry. I got pet on the head by a mountain lion. Mind you I'm well above average height and this kitty was taller than me sitting down. Not my story, but a co-worker, we are in the natural resources field, doing a lot of biological surveys, checking properties, building trails etc. A co-worker of mine was in a remote area of a small park. She was doing some GPS monitoring of invasive species and came upon a naked older fella in a wheelchair doing yoga in the woods. She didn't see him until she was right next to him. He struck up an awkward conversation with no shame. She has no idea how he managed to get the wheelchair out there, there were no nearby trails, and the closest road was pretty far away, maybe a half mile through steep hills and thick brush. She still questions whether she hallucinated the whole thing. I've also found a mattress covered in bones and blood, which luckily tuned out to be deer bones, but still unsettling. I was out night walking with my friends in the local national forest, we all have night vision so we go blacked out, and all of the sudden we hear some crunching nearby. We stop and listen, whispering to each other and all of the sudden the crunching stops and we hear some whispers as well. We have no idea what's going on and start shining the trees with our IR lights, invisible to the naked eye, and bam we get lit up too. Thinking it's white light I take my nods off but I can't see anything and then it clicked. It was another group of dudes doing the exact same thing. They sort of realized at the same time and we all started laughing with relief and met up to compare gear. Ended up being a cool group of guys and we all went on with our night remembering that we're not the only ones out there with that kind of tech. I can only imagine how many people we freaked out who couldn't see us. But this was the first time we ran into someone who could. When I was a very young child, like six or seven, I wandered off from my parents at a picnic in the Australian bush. The thing you need to understand about the Australian bush, is that, the forests are really dense and really messy. Making it extremely difficult to move through, not even mentioning the fact that basically every animals you come across will kill you. In the late 19th and early 20th centuries, it was really common for kids to go missing in the bush and never be found again because it was ridiculously hard to search the bush and extremely easy to be killed. Well, by some miracle, after seven hours of searching with police in the local town, I was found, completely unharmed. But the whole ordeal was really scarring for young me, and to this day I still can get anxious when thinking about that day. 
the Australian bush is just something else.